couple dudes talking Star Trek Voyager. That's V'ger, please. And that's where you are right now, listening to us. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Well, Peter, uh, you know, it's it's ups and downs here in season two, wouldn't you agree? It's ups and downs. We've had some, had a hot streak there for a while, and we're starting to hit some uh, bumpy territory, it seems. It's been a long season, man. These are... These these old '90s TV shows they go the distance. This is going to be season two, episode seventeen for us, and it's it's been a long one. Um, James, one of our friends who's been catching up on some back episodes, hit me up on uh, Hangouts today, and he's like, "Man, this opening to season two was just fucking terrible." And I'm like, "God, what episode was that even?" And he's like, Oh, it's uh, this one where they find Amelia Earhart, and I like slap myself in the forehead. I'm like, God, has it been that long? <laughs> and I got mad yeah. all over again. And how stupid that episode! <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we covered that, you know, three or three and a half months ago. From our perspective, one a week. I think back to season one, and there wasn't really that much good. I'm going to say, you know, all all joking aside, that Voyager has been very quickly growing on me that I enjoy even the bad episodes. And I, again, I think it's a big part of, I've got you to discuss it with all of our friends who are listening to the podcast. They're discussing it with me. You know, we've got some good dialogue going on the trauma support group, our Facebook group. So it's a fun community and it's easy yeah. to talk about Star Trek. I like talking about Star Trek, but overall season two has had some very high peaks and we've been riding high for a while. So getting back down to the valleys has has hurt and him reminding me that the 57s was a thing and in fact the thing that they opened season two with the 37s peter they were the 37s that's how and much i hated that fucking shit <laughs> you just you just don't care i disrespect I, it i think this is the first like certified definite 100 percent stinker we've had in almost i think in the last six weeks should we look at voyager maybe not on a good and bad scale but on a engaging and boring scale oh i don't know good bad engaging not engaging i i think we can all agree that season two episode 17 dreadnought was fucking neither uh peter how does this episode start it starts uh as good as it's going to get in this one we open up and we've got uh the doctor and we've got kess and we've got ensign i think wildman who we discovered a while back. I think that was like really the only good takeaway thing. What episode did we find out she was pregnant? I believe it was a logium. Yeah, that was like yeah. the only good thing that came out of a logium. Well, the only thing uh, you needed to remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're going over looking at her baby bump, hitting it with some tricorders, giving it some, I don't know, microwave once overs. And she starts discussing what she wants to name the baby. She also lets loose that the baby is not uh, of a human father. And I believe you've said before that that was thrown in there to kind of explain how they got 10 months into the trip before she discovered that she was. Or no, I think it was like eight months into the trip before she discovered that she was pregnant. You're going to see a much better bedside manner out of the doctor. And we can chalk that up perhaps to his... Um, bout of the flu he programmed him himself but it's a pretty good exchange uh she starts gunning through names that 
she's been considering, including the native language of uh, the father. And then Kess tosses out uh, the name of her dad as a suggestion. And Robert Picardo does a really good job of looking visibly hurt as a hologram that Kess never suggested her father's name to him before. And I think it was something pretty good, too. Do you remember what it was? I'll, I don't remember the name. I just remember how, like, passive-aggressive the doctor was about how Kess never suggested it to him. It was one of those, oh, the doctor is still going through trying to find a name. Yeah. We haven't heard that mentioned in, like, weeks upon weeks upon weeks. I guess that's still a thing. But at least they played it up in a way that was mildly entertaining. So, like you said, it's probably the best part of the episode because at least it was mildly entertaining and that is about as far into the episode as i have anything good to say and it wasn't until i was uh reading up on the memory alpha trying to find something of value in here that i discovered who the director of this episode was and disappointingly it was lavar burton yeah what the fuck like they really gave him two stinkers right out of the date i mean what was his other one it was uh, ex post facto, the shitheads. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was him. He tried to make a noir story out of a character with no charisma. I don't know. I'm always kind of curious as to where the director begins and the writer ends. I would say for the middle 35 minutes, there's just an, it, one inconceivably impossible thing that just happens after another because we want the plot to occur yes and it reminded me of the conversation that we had just a few days ago while recording our episode on meld do you remember how you were talking about how so many episodes of voyager tend to just have shit happen so they can get to the plot point they want to get to and ignore any sort of interesting repercussion that could happen along the way yeah exactly this episode feels like it was constructed to get to the point where Bolana is dealing with consequences of her terrorist past. Like that was the idea, right? Like we want to create an episode where Bolana, as passes as a Maquis member is more explored. We've done that with Chicote, but we haven't really done it with Bolana outside basically the first time we got to know her at all back in season one, right? So we gotta we gotta dial down on this and let's let's come up with something that does that right that's the idea and so they come up with just the most impossible ridiculous ass plot i'd call it preposterous preposterous that is an excellent word that features not only a cardassian super weapon not only a cardassian super weapon with literally the most ridiculous oversight flaw possible so that it actually failed not only that the Maquis then seized this super weapon and decided to use it themselves, not only that Bolana Torres is such a talented engineer that she was able to essentially program a sentient AI accidentally, not only that the super weapon somehow, some way, got picked up by the fucking caretaker for for no reason, because there's no fucking life forms on it, and brought to the Delta <laughs> Quadrant. Not only that it just magically found another M-class populated planet with the exact same profile and, and atmosphere and magnetosphere as its original target. Let me cut in. Okay. Not only uh, did Voyager just so happen to find this mega weapon 
at a point where it had just locked onto this planet and was beginning its uh its death descent. Not only uh, did it manage to create for itself the perfect countermeasures against Balana in the exact circumstances she found herself in from being able to disarm it, which would not have occurred in any other circumstances because the, the computer would have believed her otherwise. One in a million after one in a million after one in a million coincidental pile of bullshit. It, to the point where I, I just started writing and then this happens lol. On my notes, like it's just one after another, just like you said. And because of that, it's just impossible to watch this and just care. And and to make it worse, quite frankly, the actors just like took a step back. Like everybody in this episode that they focus on has been better in other episodes and they are not good here. And particularly Roxanne Dawson. She's fucking terrible. So let's take a big step back uh and and kind of fill in the blanks if you've never seen this episode before we'll we'll color it in so you get out of the good part of the episode which is the doctor name debate the science team gets called in for a little powwow with the captain they've come across the wreckage of what appears to be an unmanned probe with a dirtanium hull which is apparently hella strong and something rocked the shit out of this Something with unparalleled weapons that they've never seen before. So they beam some of the scraps on board. They check it out. And uh, Chakotay and Balana have a big frown on their face because they know damn well what caused this. And they are responsible for it because once upon a time before Voyager even left dry dock, Chakotay and Balana were zipping around as Maquis and they intercepted a Cardassian mega weapon that is unprecedented in anything you've ever seen before in Star Trek. They didn't encounter it. The The super weapon was used against them. And it just didn't explode. That you're, It's like to give the Maquis credit for somehow like intercepting this or stopping this is inaccurate. It just didn't work. They, the Cardassians built a super weapon and then basically forgot to turn it on. I want to put the super weapon in scale. In reality, it is a large torpedo with a big enough play payload that it can essentially destroy a planet, right? So you're dealing with a crazy super mega bomb. And on top of all of that, this thing has phasers in its own torpedoes and a plasma wave thing and all these other like mega weapons. Uh, again, put on something that's going to ultimately just blow itself up. Uh, so it can defend itself between, you know, from point A to point B. This thing on the power scale, and again, I know we've got some Dragon Ball Z fans out that enjoy when we talk like this. You remember like uh, Frieza, right? Like up to a certain point, all power was kind of relative. And then I think the show just kind of went off the rails because they had this one dude, Frieza, and he had a little laser that shot out of his finger and he just swiped it down. And in that one motion, he cuts an entire planet in half and blows this planet up. And from that point, it's like, how do you establish a power level greater than that? When you got a guy who can just casually flick his wrist and blow up a planet, everything just gets bonkers. And that's what this photon torpedo is, essentially. It is something that is so much more powerful than anything in the Alpha Quadrant that you can't really rationalize it. Yeah, I, I would say you've, you're, you've got it so far. Continue. So they go on to tell the story about how this 
super weapon was let loose by the Cardassians and it didn't arm itself properly. It skipped off the atmosphere. It went into orbit and uh, Chakotay's crew was able to beam on board this thing, reprogram the hell out of it, and ultimately send it back out against its Cardassian masters, which let me let me start nitpicking things because it gets real. When you put something like this on the table, the possibilities that become available are mind boggling. Why would the Maquis redispatch this thing? Why wouldn't you strip it down and start harvesting its parts? You've got the strongest phasers ever and the strongest shields ever. And the, this thing is indestructible and can win any fight it gets in. They talk about doing that very thing after they find it. That's there's a quick scene like after the initial encounter and they think that they've disarmed it. They're like, all right, well, we get to strip this bad boy for parts. We're going to have quantum torpedoes now. We're going to have like spare parts for days. It's going to be the fucking tits. Absolutely. I, I still can't get over the fact that they want us to believe that the Cardassians built the superest super weapon that ever super weaponed. And not only were they going to use it against some fucking rinky dink Maquis base, like they did all of this just to blow up literally a cave for space Al Qaeda, but that they were too fucking stupid to put a good detonator on it. And that's why the goddamn white trash terrorists managed to get their hands on in the first place. Literally, that's the fucking explanation that it bounced off the atmosphere because they used like an old style detonator. And then suddenly, magically, instead of rinky dink, you know, Al Qaeda cave getting blown up. Now these dudes have a fucking H bomb. I mean, could, could just, could just, so this is also the only time we ever hear, I, I don't know, and you can correct me again, you're the DS9 expert, but I'm assuming this is the only time you ever hear of this Nazi mega weapon that could have been, you know, the, the bomb to end all bombs. So the Cardassians build the bestest thing ever. They send it after the most low priority shit ever, and they never make another one after that. And I, I can't speak to the DS9 quality Cardassians, but I can say next gen. You know, it's not like uh, Cardassians were were on par really with the Federation push come to shove. It's certainly not with the the Romulans or the the Klingons. So you've got like the second class species just blowing everybody out of the water as far as technological marvels go. And you never hear from this thing again. They never make another one. The Maquis never think to replicate it. It's just, wow, this thing is like a 15 out of 10 and we're just going to repurpose it and send it back off. So it's absurd. And uh, their their working theory is that after dispatching this thing to go blow up a, a Cardassian fuel depot, it goes off into the Badlands potentially years before, you know, the Voyager caretaker incident. And yeah, you like you said, fucking caretaker, for whatever reason, zats this thing out of the, the Alpha Quadrant, even though it has no life. Remember, caretaker is bringing life forms over from the alpha quadrant so it can give it like caretaker herpes and uh and see if it sticks so it can what procreate was that what the end goal was with that yeah yeah it wanted to make more uh to keep looking after the uh the okampa yeah. and we're, we're supposed to to believe that while the caretaker is uh capable of pulling ships from literally the other side of the galaxy to him in order to check to see if they are compatible life forms for him to procreate with that he couldn't tell that this was a missile rather than a, a ship <laughs> with people on it like they and i couldn't do that 
And then he and then he and then on top of that, that he saw that he pulled a missile brimming with weapons and that itself was explosive enough to blow up a planet and didn't go, well, shit, this is bad. Let me put this in the sun over here. All right. And we're done with that. Like, I don't want this to accidentally blow up the Ocampa. That would be bad. Like he was not about violence. Like he shut down, you know, violence around him. And and he's just like, eh, whatever, it's Saturday, I don't give a fuck, that can go off and terrorize. Just fucking lazy, stupid fucking shit, oh my god. So Super Duper Missile is just free to cruise around the Delta Quadrant for potentially years until Voyager would come to encounter it. So they lay all this out on the table, and at some point during the briefing, uh, Tom Paris busts in with his hair looking bad. And he's like, oh hey, sorry I'm late. And uh, I guess this begins a plot thread that's going to kind of continue with additional aggression between uh, Chakotay and Paris, because at the end of the briefing, Chakotay grabs Paris and kind of grills him a little bit. And he's like, yeah, uh, OK, sure. We have a little scene with uh, with Tom and Bolana and engineering while they're working on the problem where Tom suggests he's just not enjoying being part of the crew and not uh, not a assimilating or something's bothering him which you know we saw shades of this in the tack on bullshit scenes and meld where they're not talking about you know the ship murder that happened but instead are engaging in gambling at big tom's discount sex farm something going on here you know they're building something here about tom and his discontent what was our better version of uh harry kim can't lose I think our main problem was that you couldn't understand why Tom was going to be friends with Harry Kim. No, like there, there, was, there was another episode, though, where, he, you know, we're like, hey, look, that really did a better job establishing the Harry. Oh, yeah. So the 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 Frakes episode that came yeah. right after part two where they had the clarinet scene. Yeah. Space Muppets. That did so much good for Tom Paris because he really nails down the this is my second chance in life. Second chances are hard to come by. And I'm going to make the most out of this. And I feel like this is just a big backslide needlessly into, you know what, maybe I don't give a fuck after all. And I'm going to be moody and I'm going to be a salty, petulant little bitch. And, uh, you know, all that big talk I had before about, you know, making good on a second opportunity just goes down the drain. So they start going back and forth on that. And during the course of this conversation, Balana reveals that, uh, Chakotay lied in the staff meeting that they did not as a group decide to send this uh this mega weapon off and that she had basically gone behind Chakotay's back and dispatched this thing to go blow up a planet and that Chakotay had basically said uh you hurt my feelings and that I thought I had earned your trust and respect which is a very Chakotay thing to say so I believe that completely but maybe that'll excuse maybe Chakotay did have bigger plans to like replicate this thing and make the most out of it and Bolana just being completely obsessed with AI as much as she is petulantly went behind his back and did this. I want to point out this is the second time like, eh, well, I'll wait till we get deeper. No, fuck it. I'll just say no. Do it now. The TLDR on this is she gets kidnapped again. This is like the second episode within recent memory that Bolana gets kidnapped by AI and it's her own damn fault. Yep. That's going to be like her ongoing thing now is she's like, the damsel who doesn't need saving but is still in distress with an AI Bowser (laughs) (laughs) whisking her off into the castle and the castle is like robot fortress. Although I will say, thankfully this time, that even though she did create this AI on this mega missile from the ground up that is not like 
super overtones of, uh, you know, motherly instincts. What was atrocious about all of it to me from this point forward is that Roxanne Dawson sucks. I don't know what your feelings are on her performance in this episode, but starting with the scene with Tom, I don't know what the fuck was wrong with her, that she's just not very good. I was so overwhelmed with how cockamamie and preposterous that the premise of this thing is um, that the it's just rolling at D20 on 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 every time. Like that is how absurd the, the series of events are here that, you know, you laid out in painstaking detail that it just kind of checked me out. A lot of the episode from this point forward, because what happens is that they they eventually find the missile, even though it has like super advanced uh, radar scrambling false images. Luckily, you know, again, the the number of staggering events that line up in the favor to make this episode happen because it was Bellana that had experienced this thing before. And she knows it inside and out that, you know, she's able to counter it's every uh, fantastical uh, defensive offensive system they locate it and they pull up alongside it and she beams onto it and uh it's a very large missile it's got a big ugly cardassian room i was hoping we could get cardassian hallway out of it somehow but she starts talking Almost. To it. there were hints of it there were I hints was, of it i there. wanted a bet i could taste it. felt it yeah i know she replaced the um cardassian computer voice with her own so i know she had to record like extra dialogue for it and it's her talking to herself and and, and essentially, the rest of the episode is her talking to herself. I mean, that's what they're building up to is she has this dialogue that's a monologue because it's with her own voice. And, you know, the concept here is that she's she's trying to convince the AI that she created when she was a terrorist that the situation is different. And right now the missile is locked on to it just so happens to be a populated M-class planet. And they explain it's because it's essentially exactly the same as the planet that the missile was originally supposed to target. And because the AI doesn't believe it's in the Delta Quadrant, it assumes that this new planet is what it's supposed to target. Now, let me say something. The galactic coincidence that would be necessary for those two planets to be so exactly the same, such that the sh- this missile can detect all of those things, yet somehow can't figure out that... Everything else around it, the locations of the stars, the the planets that are in the system, the color of that star, any other of a million things that could just be wrong to convince it that it's not locked onto the right planet all just happen to be the exact same thing is so phenomenally, stupidly insane that my mind just blasted off to Mars. Yeah, she gets on there. She starts repairing things. She says, hey, look, that's not the right planet. And like, yes, it is. And she's like, well, look, I'm going to fix your navigational array. Now you can correlate that, you know, this is actually the Delta Quadrant. And, you know, here's all this uh, collaborating information. And it goes, OK, you're right. And she's like, cool, let's uh, disarm you, knock you off of uh, red alert, back down to green alert and uh, go ahead and power down. And we're going to go decide what to do with you. She pops over back onto Voyager. That's where her Chakotay and uh, uh, Janeway all decide that, yeah, we're going to strip this thing down and this is going to be a blessing in disguise and it's not going to blow this planet up after all. And meanwhile, in the background, there's this Jonas guy who is a Maquis dude. uh, And back on the Alliances episode, 
Uh, he is one of the guys who, along with Hogan, is very unhappy with the way things are going on the ship. And this is the guy who has been attempting to directly contact Seska, Queen of Burns. And they're jerking him around. I don't even, is Seska actually aware that this guy is trying to communicate with her? You know, it's hard to tell at this point. I know what the ultimate answer to that is. Well, keep it to yourself. I will. I just like I'm I'm keeping some things to myself that I know are going to happen. I want you to I want you to have a little surprise in your life. I'm glad that there's some things coming that you don't know about. Speaking of things coming, I'm going to Dragon Con this weekend, like I talked about last week. And uh, Mm -hmm. the dude who played um, Paris, he's going to be there doing a couple panels. And like part of me wants to go and like run my mouth a little bit. But (laughs) the reason I think I'm ultimately going to skip is I don't want spoilers. Oh, come on, dude. You got to go tell Big Tom what you think. Like, ask him, like, dude, did anyone ever bring up in those in those early seasons that, you know, Sandrine's was essentially Tom Paris's masturbation fantasy? Mm hmm. Be that guy. Fucking do it, dude. Um, anyway, so this. uh... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just just pass over my comment. You know, go ahead. Check it out. That's fine. I'll think only a little bit less of you. I have to have. I have to have things to look forward to in this show, and I don't. I don't want I don't know. I'll think about it, maybe. But so this Jonas guy, he's doing this like uh, hiding in the closet, sweating feverishly. He's got some sort of red disco light next to his uh, laptop that apparently warns him when he starts getting close to someone being able to detect that he's sending fucking subspace transmissions off the ship. And he's talking to some. Kazon lackey and he starts filling them in like hey look there is this rogue Cardassian weapon and Seska should know about it for some reason and uh, you know come check this thing out and I'm like okay well this is cool we might get Seska involved maybe something interesting is going to happen with this and this dude's like listen buddy you know you can't you don't get to talk to her I'm your liaison you can trust me and you know feeding him a line it of course upsets me that Tuvok is still negligent enough that so many electronic shenanigans are going on on Voyager that nobody in the entire ship is noticing these crazy subspace transmissions going out that Maquis scrubs are running hot game on Federation security protocols. To to be fair, these guys are essentially, you know, trained to be able to evade those very procedures. True, but and, it's like and and we do see that he's got like some sort of like jury rigged like warning device if when he's about to get found out so i mean it's not like it looks like this guy's some sort of tech genius he's figured out some workarounds and it's limited it's happened so many times it's been the focus of so many episodes that it's just disappointing to see whatever again things you got to ignore in voyager because they want to tell a story where that's a part of it and god damn it they're gonna make it happen so just fucking get along for the ride but the missile while they're in the middle of talking about how they're going to scrap this thing out and turn. And and this is exactly what I'm looking for is, you know, these otherwise bottle episodes make it have some sort of an impact. Hey, you know, this episode we're up energy that episode we lost energy, you know, the, the ebb and flow of, of their efforts to get back to the alpha quadrant. But this missile turns back on and zips back off on its course. And they're like, what the fuck? How could this has happened? My initial thought is, okay, Jonas reached out to Seska saying, hey, Black or Ebonhand operative, 
mm-hmm. for what Evan order? Uh, Obsidian order. Obsidian order operative. One of your crazy super weapons is actually around here. And maybe she was like, oh, that fucking thing. Great. You know, we can use this and and do terrible Kazon things with it. And it was just Seska remote hijacking it from under their noses. And she was going to rub Voyager's face and shit again. But no. It's not that. It's the ultra intelligent yet fundamentally stupid AI on this missile just basically faked Balana out and uh, waited for her to think everything was cool, beam off, and then, you know, zip back along its course because now clearly it thinks that she's compromised. Before uh, we jump, number one, if Seska had hijacked this thing, she would have, you know, run the Delta Quadrant like a, like a fucking G from that point forward. And the show would be over. It would be the Seska show now, which would be an improvement. And two, I I don't want to like say this is the quote unquote good part of the episode, but the idea of, I mean, Bolana essentially stumbling, you know, ass backwards into programming an AI that now has adaptive thinking does have some precedence in Star Trek. I think we even mentioned it where we're, um, one time Jordy accidentally created a super intelligent sentient AI in the holodeck by asking it to make something that could beat data. Yes. You know, so like, and you know, like the idea that Bolana accidentally did this by, you know, being too smart for her own good and how she was programming it and made it adaptive to circumstances and make its own decisions as a consequence Man, like there's some untapped territory there that could have been interesting, but instead it's just used to escalate this plot of the week and is never really addressed in any kind of depth. It is the most reasonable plot turn in this episode. Before we leave the Seska thing, it it dawned on me after I finished watching the episode, I was in the shower thinking about this, like all of the Maquis seem super hardcore, right? right? And I think this episode kind of sheds more light on that meld started touching on you know you've got really scummy people like for real scummy people like lon souter a serial killer running the ranks in there and they're all super against the maquis i'm sorry they're all super against the cardassians this jonas dude and hogan and any of these other maquis guys like yeah if seska just got ran off the ship because um she did something that pissed Janeway off. You could still say whatever. They're still Maquis bros. She was willing to do things Starfleet wasn't. She's got the spirit of the Maquis. And you know what? Yeah, we're going to have this camaraderie with her, even though she's living in exile. And she was still a human person. Once it's found out that not only was she a double agent, but she was actually a Cardassian and like super badass uh, Obsidian Order, the deepest most twisted dagger that you could put in the Maquis back and twist it. Right. This is like yeah, the worst that's a good, fucking scenario. Yeah. Who in the Maquis would even entertain the fact of, of, of saying this bitch's name, let alone betraying the people in the ship you're currently working with, with a fucking Cardassian. That's a great fucking point. That's a great, that's a great point. I had not put that together. There is no way that these guys should be okay with that on the simple fact that she represents the very enemy all of them had signed up to murder. 
Yes. And it really pulls the rug out of this entire Jonas, you know, Benedict Arnold uh, subplot. Like, she is the antithesis of their sworn life mission. So, whatever. But I thought it would have been cool if Seska would have had a bigger role in this. She didn't. And ultimately, like, Chekhov's gun. What the fuck? Why, why bring Seska into this episode to hijack this missile? And then they don't touch it again the rest of the episode. That is the end of Seska is the end of Jonas's uh, conversation. That is correct. It's uh, it's run one scene and, you know, it's I guess let's wrap up the actual discussion of what happens. Not a whole lot left, to be honest, um, because a lot of it's more Bolana talking to herself through the computer logic game nonsense. But there's some local lizard people. And the local lizard people get in touch with Voyager. What's her face? Uh, Janeway, still thinking they've got control over the situation, just reaches out for a heads up. But these lizard people, they're on next door. I just was about to say it. They're reading Delta Quadrant next door, and they have seen the hot commentary from the Kazons. And, uh, you know, Voyager's got a reputation, and they immediately interpret what's going on as Voyager is threatening them with a missile, not warning them about it. And uh, there's actually some real subtle shade because they have some subsequent talks like when shit goes bad and, you know, they're like, well, we don't have much in the way of weapons. We don't invest our time and energy into, you know, destructive things like the like your people do. And then like the way he like delivers it is actually kind of cool, like that he's just exasperated by the fact that whether if they're personally responsible or not, this part of space that Voyager is from has all this ridiculous super weaponry is just flummoxes this guy. Like, oh, this just isn't something we do around here. Why would you when you've got marauding Kmart Klingons and organ thieves and uh, warring robot sex bots and all the other terrible shit that goes on the Delta Quadrant? Like, that's, that's the inconsistency for me here. Like, where does Kazon space begin? Where does it end? It seems like they're just all over the fucking place, you know, and you've got some really dangerous, terrible things floating around out there. They're extremely warlike. And then you've got these extremely peaceful dudes that would just seem like entire planets of organ farms for the Vidians to just completely subjugate. Uh, and I get why they're in this episode as peaceful people who are caught unaware, but it's like they don't really fit into the Delta Quadrant profile. Yeah, the Delta Quadrant seems like a hard place. It's it, it would raise hard species that have to deal with a lot of marauding, shitty bad guys. And this local lizard people going like, we are but a peaceful race that will be wiped out by your crazy weapon. Oh, woe is us is weird. But whatever. I mean, eventually, I mean, this is going to be a real fucking spoiler here. Alana gets back on the missile and starts working a solution and the peaceful lizard people get all their ships blown up when they try and intervene. I would say there is one relatively cool moment when Janeway says, well, if we got to, we'll blow the ship up and use it to try and blow the missile up and actually commits to that action, gets everybody to abandon ship. And it's in the end, just, her and Tuvok preparing to go down with the ship uh, to try and save the millions of people that are on this planet, which is the right Starfleet call. That is, that seemed weird to me. Abandoned ship. Everybody else gets off. 
we have a responsibility here to save lives and we're going to do it. That, that, that made sense to me. And Janeway didn't blink from it. She was ready to, to lay it down and do it all herself. And really Tuvok basically invites himself along. So I want to point out, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Cause here's where I think the meat in the episode is. First of all, Janeway able to arm the self-destruct on Voyager without any sort of, uh, exo confirmation or any of the other bridge crew that's a new precedent for star trek i i don't remember all the times they armed it in tng if it required verification yeah it right famously- was always down there um you know it was always a grim scene and you'd had to have second uh officer confirmation gotcha okay i didn't remember that but good point and again ramifications you know you're just a starfleet dude you're trying to get home and now you're going to lose your ticket home because of some fucking Maquis bullshit. And I want to say this is like the second time that the ship has like really been endangered at a fundamental level over lingering Maquis baggage. You know, I mean, if you count basically every time they've encountered Seska, that, yeah, <laughs> you, you would certainly you would, you would you would get there. And I'd have to go through my notes, but I want to say it was something more recently you've got major ramifications of, of having to go in and clean up and potentially just to destroy your, your Federation ship because of your shitty tag alongs previous actions. And, uh, you know, we go back to meld and again, the commitment that the Maquis had that they were going to kill, they were going to murder Cardassians and Janeway's fundamental disagreement over murder here. You know, you've got what seems like a pretty big war crime to me. And they totally just let Bolana skate on it. There's no like fresh charges. It's just like, hey, that was another life. No big deal. And ultimately, you know, Bolana's willing to make the sacrifice. She's at the end of the episode. She's in some Jeffrey's tube shooting a phaser on full right at the uh, warp reactor on this mega missile. So, you know, she's willing to kill herself to bring this thing down. Janeway's willing to kill herself to bring this thing down. Uh, and luckily, Bellana gets her way before Janeway has to do it her way, which is self-destructing the ship in front of the missile. But uh, it just, the whole ending just felt very rushed. I thought you had some good potential for the lizard people to reach back out and say, hey, look, you know, maybe you guys aren't as bad as next door let on. You certainly got some friends and they, they do it a little bit. Like there's a final goodbye before Janeway commits to the self-destruct run on this thing. But you don't, you don't really flesh anything off. It's just like, Ooh, wipe the sweat off her brow. We sure got that one, you know, at the last minute, the doctor who Janeway completely forgot about was there, uh, beams Bellana into the sick band. They start treating her for some mild looking radiation burns. And uh, they just, you know, that was good. Let's turn back and get all the lifeboats. And they don't. That's it. Episode just ends. There's no coda on any of this. There's no reflection. There's no attempt to find a deeper meaning. You're supposed to draw just from Bolana's actions that like, you know, this is her turning the corner on her terrorist past, I guess. But I already felt like that already happened. There was no part of me that thought that somehow Bolana wasn't already subsuming herself into her new role as a Starfleet officer and had turned her back on her Maquis roots in this way. Like this episode seemed unnecessary from a character development standpoint for that reason. So it just didn't care. And, you know, some, some mild badassness of Janeway willing to do her captain's duty 
and uh, and go down with the ship to save some people's lives. And literally the very first scene of the doctor kind of being butthurt over <laughs> Kess not offering her dad's name to him. Rezus was just fucking garbage. It was absurd coincidence after absurd coincidence to build up this plot so that they could have this this idea of the Lana you know, dealing with a engineering artifact of her terrorist past uh, and overcoming her demons, except she didn't have any fucking demons. And the concept that came up with goes so far beyond straining credulity that I just stopped caring about what I was watching. I was actually pretty disengaged for the last 15 minutes. I just, it it made me not care, and that's probably the deepest insult I can give it. I just didn't give a shit. I, they didn't even give you a scene in private between Balana and Chakotay where Chakotay's like this, you know, to kind of rub in her face her insubordination earlier or an apology of, hey, you were right, I should have never done. Like, it just... Nothing. Wh- Fucking nothing. It, it, it doesn't have any of that. I think there's a, like... The scene with Tom and then there's like one scene in Transporter with Harry Kim. But, you know, working with Garrett Wang in any circumstance is just like two charmless wood pieces of wood just banging together. Like, how, you know, how do they even be, if fuck? this thing had like mega shields, like how do they even force Balana back in? There's no exp- it's just no fucking explanation. So we want this thing to happen. It's going to happen. Doesn't matter how preposterous it is here. Go out and, and, and force it to happen. My biggest takeaway from this entire episode, I think, is. uh Voyager dumps like a shitload of torpedoes on. This yeah, thing. it does. And they shoot a shit ton of them at it to try and solve this problem to no effect. So between this and alliances, like there have been a lot of photon torpedoes diminished. And I don't know if that's going to come into play later on, but whatever. This is just a, a fucking wet fart of an episode. Well, what's I, the next wet fart? I hope it's not, man, because this is uh this is going to be season two, episode 18, Death Wish. And here's again where I regret that Netflix shows the stuff it does, because right there in the picture, man, John DeLance, Q. While Voyager investigates a comment, the crew accident releases a member of the Q continuum who has been imprisoned for over 300 years. Yeah, I mean, you heard magic letter. Whether you saw the thumbnail or not, you know what was going to happen. I'm down for some Q. Mm. Please don't make that noise, Joe. I need this, especially after this consequenceless poop episode. I have terrible news, but I'll wait until you come back from your vacation. <sighs> season two, what are you doing to me? <laughs> How many more episodes are in season two? Uh, I think it's 24. So we got a, a few left here. Episode. Tell you what, man, we're almost at the end of uh, August here. Um, let's uh, let's talk about doing the live broadcast uh, next month. This has been a super crazy month for me between moving and work and uh, conventions and other stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to connecting with some of the fans out there. Hopefully we can get some good laughs out of that. Hopefully we can get some good laughs out of death, Wish. I didn't even feel like there was anything in dreadnought that was even like comic worthy. And th- that draws me into a bigger part of my problem with this episode. This is where I was afraid we were going to end up Joe when you suggested Voyager, because <laughs> there's nothing production wise 
wrong with these episodes anymore. There's no more phaser dick. I'm not seeing Cardassian hallway <laughs> episode after episode. There's no like outstanding bad extras or anything that's like an easy low hanging fruit to like slam dunk on. It's it's produced good enough and it's just let down content. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean, man. And I I and there's some real fucking uh gems. I mean, obviously we took a pass on threshold, which has uh, you know, we're going to re- readdress that when we can get together and do it properly. That's a fucking absolutely goldmine. Just amazing. I cannot wait to watch that with you. Um there's an episode coming up this it's the second season. It's called The Thaw. That is almost as bad in my opinion and uh also a delight to observe and i cannot wait for us to to go over that um there's some funny bad out there um but yeah these it's just 90s mediocrity man like that's mediocre tv just bland oatmeal episodes and this was goes back to what you and i talked about when we were i guess before we even did the first episode when we were just discussing the premise and I said, like, this is the unloved child of Star Trek and it will be interesting to go through why it's that way. Like, how did the show go seven seasons in the in the heat of Star Trek's biggest popularity and come out the other the other end, a property nobody likes? Nobody loves the show. Not really. I mean, there's some diehards on Trek BBS and other places, but I mean, people who like it or appreciate it. They don't love it. No one loves this like they love a lot of other Star Trek. And we're seeing why. We're seeing the answer to that question. When you got to trudge through the dreadnoughts of the world, we're just it's just it's just a charmless, boring, stupid episode, poorly written, badly directed, terribly acted. that just kind of ends. That's going to lead to some lack of uh, love, Peter. Yeah. Well, uh, any closing thoughts on uh, on the stinker? No, nah, man. I just want to know if you actually found a rule of acquisition for this. I'm split between two. We're getting we're getting down to the last couple ones here. We've we've got some big ones, but there's a lot of talk about <laughs> platinum, and we're not really encountering much of that. Uh, this uh, this rocket ship. It had a one-track mind, and that one-track mind was to go find Malachor Five for whatever and blow it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, see, we got fans who are gonna really enjoy the deep, 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 deep nerd cuts like that, my friend. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's gonna go take this thing out. Common sense, be damned. So, Frankie, uh, rule of acquisition number sixteen: a deal is a deal. That's true. I'm starting to stretch here, but. Uh, I'll take it. Gotta do what you gotta do. All right, Peter. Uh, as he as uh, he said, internet. We'll we'll get back to y'all on our first uh, live stream, and it will be in September. Now that uh, things have calmed down and in, in, uh, in real life, and we'll be able to get that scheduled, and we'll we'll let everybody know. Uh, but until then, my name is Joseph. I'm Peter, and this has been Vija Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. We will see you next time with Death Wish. Peace.